I'm Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Lathan. Check out the Ringerverse podcast from The Ringer for all things superhero movies, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. We have instant reviews and fun takes on all the latest news and more available now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ringer SC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. How are you? You looking, what's, you looking, what have you done? I'm just happy to see you, Ryan. No, don't lie to me. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you forget how long I know you. I know when you're lying. That's true. Yeah, so no, very happy. A bit of personal news. So interviewed Bakayo Saka, the great Bakayo Saka, for British GQ style. He's on the cover and it was a joy to speak with him. Really lovely. And another highlight, a personal highlight of the week. Went for a walk through North London and bumped into Jeremy, a Stadio listener. Which what is, is this? Real... <laughs> I think it's just, you're just trolling me right now. <laughs> Hi, Jeremy, Stadio listener. I was in North London with the Metropolitan Leeds and there he was. Oh my God. So he said hello. That was, he said, oh, can you have a shout out? So of course you can. There you go. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> we could we a quick shout out to Mark Wallace and Bina Cromer. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, we yeah, had the yeah. first ever Stadio fan meetup in Glasgow. Bina was travelling there looking for tickets for a game, and we retweeted it from the Stadio account. And her and Mark connected for a beer, which was lovely. And they sent absolutely. us a photo. Yeah, absolutely lovely. How nice! You know, they're going to get hell because they're going to be like, "What?" Other people might be like, "We've had Stadio meetups before," but they were the first to brand it. They were the first to market it. I so know. It's I know. the first one. Brian Eno taking the credit for ambient music. <laughs> he actually spent six months in the sticks with, uh, with Cluster, <laughs> cutting tree logs. And uh, <laughs> see, we all know, those who know, know. The, thing that, that, the thing that terrifies me about that, though, is that I imagine what they were talking about. Oh, goodness. Oh, God. <laughs> all of the ways that they disagree with our nonsense. Don't worry, they can't find us. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. 
So let's do some quick admin. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Obviously, yes. getting vaccinated if you can, getting that booster if you can. Obviously, anyone affected by what's going on at the moment around the world, we hope you're all hanging in there. Uh, if you hear any background noise, there's some construction going on very, very close to where I'm at. So apologies if you hear the odd noise. And to be honest, in a sense, we're in a sense, which of us humans is not under construction. under construction? Exactly. Oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you mentioned the Bukai Saka thing. Go and read that now on British GQ. Oh, thank you. For anyone who hasn't read it, it's a great read. We posted it from the Stadio accounts and Musa posted it from his. Thanks very much, dude. Hey, pleasure, man. I've been, you know, we've been having chats about it. I'm just glad it's out there to read. Oh. Make sure you check theringer.com. Some great stuff going up at the moment. Write his house this week. It was an interview with Jill Rod, former Arsenal player, currently playing for Wolfsburg. She spoke to Ian and Flo about the move to Wolfsburg. Obviously, they're about to play Barcelona in the Champions League at Camp Nou again, another sellout. So she was talking a bit about that. It's a really cool, cool chat. They were also going to talk about Leah Williamson being named England captain ahead of the Euros. So... So yeah, that'll be up on Wednesday on the Ringer of Sea Feed. And obviously, if you do listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. It'd be very kind. Finally, Stadio Outros plays on Spotify. All the music we play out on each episode, newest ones at the top, just search for Stadio Outros on Spotify. Uh, and that's all the admin. So today, we're going to be very Premier League focused today because there was a lot of stuff happened this weekend in the Premier League that was pretty seismic from the mm. Champions League race for the top four race and for the relegation battles. So we'll we'll... Probably spend most of the time at the top of the table, but we'll do obviously cover some stuff down the bottom as well. And then we'll just mention a couple of other things that caught our eye this weekend. Uh, so let's get into it after this. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. All right, man, let's begin in the Premier League. Yes. Because it was... The top of the table clash, the big rivalry. The I know you're gonna. I know you're gonna say. I know it's what so you, obvious. What am I gonna say? Norwich Burnley. No, actually, not not, <laughs> not top of the table. <laughs> uh, obviously, we're talking about Manchester City to Liverpool two at the Etihad on Sunday afternoon. I thought this was quite an interesting game compared to some of the fixtures that these two have played recently. Liverpool in the opening stages were quite poor in certain aspects. See, I wonder about that. I wonder because I was watching this and I was thinking, are Liverpool poor or it is a nightmare trying to force the ball through certain gaps? Mm. Like I went to Nottingham Forest. I was very privileged to go to Nottingham Forest, Birmingham City at the city ground the weekend. And it was funny because in the first half, anyone that's watched Birmingham, the Birmingham like, that is a very lead by your team. They shut down all the space between gaps and 
Forrest could not play the ball on the turn into the gaps and they just clamped everything down. And you saw some mistakes because they couldn't play that pass into feet. Like they were mm. really struggling from the fullbacks to, to hammer the ball into feet. And you saw Trent Alexander-Arnold and he was trying to play ball on the line, but they clamped down the line. They know he likes that ball. So they're basically pairing up in the channels on the lines. And so he was having to come in field and pass it in field. And he really struggled with that. And I was like, yes, that's poor execution, but also how well are City screening? Like the intensity City started with completely forced Liverpool off. And it, did, it don't get me, it looked poor, but also that someone mentioned like, you know, they're targeting Thiago at the base of the, the playmaking function. And I was like, well, maybe they are. And it's like, it's, I'm always, when I see a top team failing to execute, I'm always like, this looks bad, but is this also because it's about when you see a gust of wind blowing a cyclist off a bike, you're like, ha ha, oh, he fell off his bike. Well, you, you wouldn't laugh. Well, had a grim sense of humour but like that must have been a strong gust of wind and I think that Liverpool I think the opening gust of wind from City was was ferocious actually Yeah I think that just made the early stages of the game really interesting because Liverpool by their extremely high standards were probably a lot poorer than they would have hoped to be in the opening stages against City but then they were a goal in it they were back in it after pretty much their first meaningful attack Mm. And uh, and likewise, in the early stages of the second half, where Liverpool got the second equaliser, City were quite poor for those opening few moments, and it was almost like the sides had like switched. Reversed. I was gonna, I was like, we've been watching Moonlight, right? And it was like both sides had a little bit of Stephen Grant and a little bit of Mark Spector in equal yes, measure. Yes. It was you know sometimes they were like Mark Spector in the suit, sometimes they were like Stephen Grant in the suit. Yeah, ruthlessness and chaos. Yeah, yeah do you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? And um, but I think that's because of the you know, just the intensity of the fixture and how important it is. And also just two absolutely elite sides. When any, either of these sides look a little bit more normal, it looks worse than it actually is because they're up against just elite machines. Right. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's like you, when you look at a player failing to execute, a player struggling, you have to always ask yourself, what are they be confronted with? You mm. saw it with Gary Neville and then you're like, oh, why is he struggling? Why is Beckham struggling? And you look, oh, it's Roberto Carlos. Like, mm. And actually the first half, Kyle Walker had an outstanding first yeah, half. I saw your I was tweet about back, this. I was just looking back and I was like, since 2017, that man's been there, 140 league games almost. And he has just allowed Pep to just not worry about that flank. And mm. it's very easy to forget his impact, but before, you know, when Pep first got there, he didn't have the fullbacks he wanted. He had, I think, Sanya was there. Very good player, but not what... He didn't give you the extra 15 yards you need, like that intensity. And Kyle Walker has just allowed Pep to just plan other parts of the pitch. I put Kyle there and locked down the rest. Mm. And he really, really like, you know, he put Robertson on his heels in a way you don't really often see happen to Robertson. Like Robertson, just an elite fullback. And the thing about him most impressive is his consistency. Um, and then Bernardo Silva, like Kevin De Bruyne will get the headlines and he's Kevin De Bruyne. So he's going to get that. But the thing that Bernardo Silva does, the ability to just take control of the ball and then just hold possession in the center circle. Like he does it so easily that you have to almost like check yourself. There's a moment he gets the ball in the first half and he takes possession and he just holds it for like five or six seconds before laying it off to, I think a center back or a fellow midfielder. And you're thinking to hang on a minute, that is like exceptionally difficult. Like the game is going off and he just gets and takes the heat out of it. Later on, late in the game, he's back in the centre-back position, pointing and directing play. And then a few minutes later, he's like 
cutting through the final third and winning a free kick. And this was just, we saw the, the Bernardo Silva performance in the 2-1 that we talk about all the time, one of the great games you've seen in the Premier League, um, City-Liverpool, City 2-Liverpool 1. This was almost of the same quality in terms of a performance. That was still the stellar performance, the definitive Bernardo Silva performance, but he was not far behind that, I think, uh, at the weekend. Yeah, I thought he was great. I really like him when he drops into those deeper roles. Love it. Yeah. He does it with such a guile that I think he almost goes unnoticed. Yes, yes, very much so, yeah. Some of the best centre midfield performances are the ones that you don't even recall them after Mm. the game because they've just kept things ticking over and they've allowed the other people to do the damage. And that is such an important thing. It's a very under, I think it's still a very underrated underrated trait of centre midfield play or midfield play in general. That's what Rodri's become. Yeah, absolutely. Rodri's become that. Yeah. Yeah. After, after a difficult start, I mean, he's become that. Now. De Bruyne is obviously incredible. And I think he was probably, I think it's, I can't, I, who got man of the match? De Bruyne got it, I think. But there's a funny thing going on where, actually, I, this is. Uh oh, here we go. I, I, here we go. Can I be honest? I've noticed that a few times watching De Bruyne, and this is not his fault because he's amazing. There's a couple of times I've seen stuff and I'm like, that's actually not as good. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm only, I say in jest, I, I loved it. It's not, it's not a dig on him. But there was one moment he gets the ball and it's like, look at the vision from De Bruyne. And he gets the ball on the right flank, Ryan. And there's like two players running ahead of him. And he just does what you'd normally, he just bends across. Yeah. And it's like, it's a normal thing. And I'm like, I almost wish he had like an in-ear, like earpiece. He could stop the game and be like, hang on guys. It's not that deep. Was it that, was it that game recently against Palace? Was it Palace away? When uh, De Bruyne yeah, hit that, that cross and and someone on commentary, I can't remember who it was, but they were like, that's the pass of the season from De Bruyne. And I think I said in the writer's house group, like the pass of the season in the Premier League should never be something that I've done in the Berlin Kreisliga. It should never be that. <laughs> it's never it should that. never be that. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I mean, De Bruyne opened the scoring with a massively deflected shot, but it was mm. so thoroughly deserved. City in that opening stint were, were so good. Oh, I some think, of that I think, passing, I think yeah. my gut feeling coming into the game, weirdly, was that if anyone was going to come out of the blocks that quick in the opening period, it would have been Liverpool. And I don't know why my gut was expecting that. And I think the fact that it was City and they were so good and they were so smothering, mm. they really, really penned Liverpool in. I think Liverpool were taken aback by all of it. Like not, yeah. not overwhelmed, overawed. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like the way the force with which City tore into them is, this is the thing. And it wasn't just about the individual. This is the thing about the passing, right? If you said like name the pass of the game for City, it kind of wasn't like that. It was more about the com- the uh, combination play. Mm. There was one point where I think De Bruyne played it into Bernardo Silva's feet, who then plays like an angled pass. And it's all like, it's just like two passes and they're just 10 yards each, but it opened up everything. Mm. It was so small, but it was the speed of the combination. And Liverpool just couldn't get tight to that. They just couldn't get tight to it. This is, this is the thing. This is what happens when you effectively play with a front six, mm. where everyone is just weaving, combining, Foden again, just superb, so elusive. Sterling's movement, just great. Like very unfortunate not to end up with a goal. Um, could have scored very early on, had another goal to slam for offside. And Gabriel Jesus basically looking like the early Gabriel Jesus at City, like the striker, like the finisher, not just the press, but the striker. Yeah, there were a couple of moments that I think he could have done better with if I'm being hypercritical. A couple of maybe wrong options that he chose to shoe where players were in better options. and. Oh yes, but, yes, but yes. I, when but De Bruyne I think, was but I think, screaming yeah, for it. But I yeah, think his yeah. inclusion was a little bit of a curveball, probably the biggest curveball in terms of the, the team selection from both sides. And it just, um, 
I'm not criticizing them in any way, really. I just think it's that's quite natural for for him to be picked as the starting central striker in a game of that magnitude. I think he was just very, very keen to impress. Mm. Um, but I still think he played really well, actually. Oh yeah, I thought so too. Um, yeah. But there were just a couple of options. I think City City was strange because I think at half time I I tweeted that both managers are probably going to be quite furious at halftime, even though City went in and, uh, yeah. in, uh, in the lead. It was one of those, like I was looking back afterwards and the, and the first half XG was really interesting because it felt like City had actually created more clear-cut opportunities than they actually had. I thought so, yeah. They really they had, felt yeah. like they had Liverpool firmly on the back foot for, a, for large parts of that first mm. half. But I think a lot of that was territorial. In terms of actual clear-cut chances, I mean, Alisson made a couple of really, really good saves. But it wasn't as much of a, a battering in an XG sense, for example, like a, an actual clear-cut opportunity sense, as it maybe felt like it had been. Mm. And I think once Liverpool hung in the game with them at half-time and Klopp got them back in the dressing room, I mean, they were out super early in the second half as well. You can just imagine the kind of team talk. I think actually, weird enough, Klopp, when, when they scored their goal, which was beautiful, beautifully worked by Diego Chota, when I saw that, I actually thought to myself, I'm really glad that wasn't, for Liverpool's sake, a world-class goal, like from 30 yards, mm. because that would have given them no clues as to how to actually break City down. Like, you'd much rather concede, like, a 35-yard screamer than the goal that they conceded to them, because that's actually worrying for City. People know that you can be undone in the switch. People know you can be done in the switch, then that becomes a blueprint. Then, they, then it becomes a question of, okay, make the centre-backs turn their heads, cut at the far post, come back across, you've got you've got options there. And when I saw that, it was weird because I remember thinking, oh, why don't Liverpool use that more in the first half? Why aren't they using the switch more? Well, <laughs> they were under attack. Um, but to come out in the second half and be doing that really stretching the play, which is what Thiago excels at, you saw a difference after that point. Once Liverpool were like, okay, we're just going to move the ball around more because I think they, they almost got a bit, um, so how do I say this? They almost got a bit hypnotised. Mm. And I say this not to disrespect Liverpool because this is what um, Sir Alex Ferguson said about Barcelona. He said, you get caught in the passing carousel. Mm. That's the danger. If you're not careful, you get caught in the passing carousel, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, and then like, it's also bewitching and then you, you lose your own rhythm. And I think Liverpool to an extent in the first half got slightly hypnotised. Mm. They came out in the second half and they imposed themselves. Far better. And that's what yeah. I was thinking about. I was thinking they almost needed that break in play to really like impose yourselves, force City out of a rhythm and then start showing your ruthlessness. And it's no coincidence then that Salah started coming into his own more. And I had a chat with some friends at halftime. They're like, oh, like Salah and Mane need to get more involved. And I said, but that problem with that is if you come deep, then where's the outlet ball? Mm. You sit deep against City. And actually, I, I, to be honest, I actually really like their discipline in staying high in the first half because if they had come deep, I think City would have absolutely overwhelmed them. Yeah, I mean, we saw it against Atleti last week. That yeah. It takes one moment for them to undo you. Yeah. Um, I think, I, yeah, I think even though Liverpool were a little bit more wobbly than Klopp would have loved them to be in the first half, mm. I still think going in just a goal down at half time, And like I say, yeah. their actual penalty box defending wasn't, wasn't actually that bad. You know, no, City no. had a lot of it around it, but a lot of the, the chances they created weren't super, super clear cut. But the goals that they scored, you know, even De Bruyne Matip, is really... Matip, the, Matip was strong too, yeah. Matip was great. I think Matip's been in really, really good form for a while. Yeah. Um, mm. That partnership between him and Van Dijk, especially if you think like Canate's come in this season and we we absolutely assumed that that would be the pairing, Canate and Van Dijk. Yeah. Matip deserves a huge amount of credit for kind of locking down that second centre-back place. 
But in terms of the goals, Bar De Bruyne's deflection, obviously, all three of them were created with really, really beautiful assists. Like the the awareness and the the calmness of Trent Alexander Arnold to lay that off for Diogo Jota in the first half, I thought was was so Loved good. It. Loved it. Cancelo's ball for Gabriel Jesus was chef's kissable. Oh my God. And the finish, the finish the too. Finish was so good. To was, guide under the crossbar like that. Yeah. But then Salah's for Mane was just, was such a great pass as well. And right at the very end, De Bruyne had that amazing, amazing through ball for Mares, who I thought oh was good God. when he came on. He hit the post with that free kick. That was a really, really good effort. That free, that's unbelievable. That so free kick. good. Yeah. It was, it was not a really good piece of defending as well, though, from the Mares chance from the De Bruyne. But he looks ball. to kind of like do this, just guide it over Allison, And there is a deflection on it that takes it further over the bar. But he tries to finesse it, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does. But I was, as soon as, as soon as that ball went through to him, I thought, here we go. The trademark Mares whip it into the far post. This is the winner. See, what's the analogy you drew? Yeah, you drew this great analogy, didn't you? You're like It's like rich people using 100 euro bottles of wine as cooking wine. Yeah, yeah. That you can't a- disrespect the pass like that. You have to savour it. You have to savour every drop of those passes. Do you know, I love that you mentioned this because Kevin De Bruyne is passing, and we've talked about this a thousand times, but I want to mention it again. So where I grew up in my sort of hometown, like suburbs of London, we had those like bowling greens, right? And that was the... We had so much respect for the old people that played in the bowling greens that we would never play football on them, right? We'd never. And they were the nicest grass anywhere. And all the kids wanted to play five-a-side there, but we never did, even though they were gorgeous places to, to like run around on. And the way that De Bruyne passes, it's like watching those old people, like old folk, rolling, like playing on the bowling green. There's the way, there's, there's the way that the ball holds up, and they'll know what I'm talking about when they re-watch it, anyone that saw the game. There's a way that Kevin De Bruyne pass holds up mm. on the turf with that little bit of backspin. It's like, so it's rolling forwards, but it's also like decelerating all the time. It's like stunning. And he just, he knows exactly, it's just the touch. And, and this is, and I've said this a thousand times, but there was something pretty wondrous about getting that level of timing and what's the word? It's poise. Mm. In a game like that, right? So much chaos. And then just that poise where you're like setting the table. And I saw that and thought, you know, obviously we've talked a lot about City not having a conventional nine in that sense. When they get one, whoever they buy is going to absolutely feast, Ryan. Oh my God, yeah. They're going to feast because the dirty secret is this shouldn't have been 2-2 actually. With, with finishing of a truly exceptional level, with finishing of, let's say, an Obama Yang, the form he's in now, for example, at, at Barcelona, with finishing like that, this is 4-2. And De Bruyne said it, he was like, actually, with the chances we've created, we should have scored more. I think the XG is lower than expected because those are the chances that elite strikers finish really quite easily in games like these. Um, and I'm not going to keep hammering City for not having that elite striker because we know that there were good reasons they didn't get one. But just watching De Bruyne's passing, I was thinking, nah, this should have been three points. I think, but yeah, but also I think Liverpool could have added another, at least. I think based on purely the performance in the game and how the game played out, I think obviously City will be more disappointed with the especially being at home as well. I think for Liverpool, yes, Klopp had yes. that amazing quote after the game where he said, you know, we, re- we, we have to win all of the games. This is the one that we could draw. Yes, yes, yes. While it's still advantage City in the title race because of that point gap, I think Pep will be the more disappointed out of the two because this, be, was, yeah. this was such a good chance to create a buffer. But uh, we, we haven't touched on Raheem Sterling's offside goal. Yeah. Um, Spiritually onside. Oh. When yes, yes. When your feet are onside 
you're spiritually on side. That's the rule. Yes, Sorry, I don't yes. make the rules up. I don't make the sad thing is, every, he did everything absolutely right. Yeah, he I really don't everything. like when the shoulders are given offside. When both of your feet are onside, and the only reason you're offside is because you are going in a direction. Does that make sense? But you're actually yeah, like, I, you're actually I, exactly, I, I just thought for his general performance, his performance deserved a goal. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, I was, I was sad for him. I was sad for him. And this would have, and it felt like a goal then, it would have been what, 65, 68 mm. minutes. See, at that point, if they get that, then they get another one. The way they were, the way they were playing at that point, once they kind of gained, they regained control of their midfield, they had that period in the kind of second half leading towards Sterling's goal. Where I just felt that was, they get this one, they could conceivably get another before the close. Mm. So 2-2, two, two, still a point at the top, seven games to go. Liverpool's running is much worse. It is tougher, yeah. It's emotional, technical, technical, like technical. Like, it's just a tougher running for several reasons. If it goes down and to the, the way, yeah. If it goes down to the, the final way, day, yeah. Liverpool host Wolves, City host Villa. Yeah, what a fixture! Anything else you want to touch on this game? No, a couple of red cards no. should have happened. Say, maybe no, no notes, <laughs> no. no further notes, no further notes. No, no. I mean, no. there were there were a couple of absolute crunching tackles in this game that could have been a little bit more harshly punished. Some cheeky tactical fouls, but no, I think, I think, can I just say, actually, shout out to Anthony Taylor. I thought he refereed this really well. Yeah, I thought he did all right. Yeah. I just thought there was a lot of chat before about people concerned about how the game would go. But I think in terms of the flow of the game, that is a tribute to how well it was allowed to, how well he controlled it out to flow. So yeah, I just want to say that because refs don't often get shout outs. So I'd like to give one. Let's take a quick break. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. All right, man, before we move on to the race for the final top, for place. Let's talk about Chelsea quickly because they put a real, I don't say, I wouldn't say this was a marker, but this was a really, really impressive response to what's been a tricky week for Chelsea. Beating Southampton 6-0 away. After the Real Madrid game in, in the week, Tuchel was super unhappy afterwards. And he said that quote that we mentioned on the podcast about having to regroup and focus and process for Southampton, because if, if they played that way against Southampton, they would lose, let alone in the Bernabeu. Keeping a clean sheet for a start, but also 
being slightly disappointed it was only six is such a kind of like sit down result. You know the sit down results with what's happened with Chelsea and obviously we tipped them towards the end of last season and early on in the season, especially when they signed Romelu Lukaku. We really, really thought that they would be a push for the title. Yeah. Tuckle. yeah. And I think should have been. You could see fans of opposition clubs taking real glee in their struggles over the last week or so. I think this was this was one of those sit down results. There is a yes. specific type of result when that kind of momentum is building against you and you're just like, sit down. This is actually my favourite Chelsea front three. It has the best fit. They have the best chemistry, these three. Havertz, Werner and Mount. I've said this before a thousand times. They all keep out of each other's way. Yeah. No coincidence, this is the three that was on the field when they won, when they scored the winner for the Champions League final. It's just the way they combine, Ryan. They're not the individually most gifted, all of them by themselves in terms of like, you know, you might say that Mount has got, hasn't got as quick feet as Pulisic or whatever, but they are, as a, as, in terms of their chemistry, this is my favourite Chelsea front three because they all just do different things. Havertz disappears, like tall guy who disappears in the six yard box. That's essential. Mount, master of the late run. Werner, master of the early run. Like they just all combine so well and this is the concern for Lukaku and Pulisic and Ziyech because that's almost like your go-to I think um that mid that that front three can generate real goals and I will say for Southampton poor Southampton they just seem to they seem to absorb a disproportionate amount of other teams statement victories Mm -hmm. do to me like Southampton a team that like they're obviously like very very good and very well coached but I think the problem they have is when the individual quality and this is not a dig at Southampton, this is about money and resources. When the individual quality of Chelsea is in warp drive like this, you can't stop that. It's no coincidence as well that this team features my, well, my favourite midfield pairing for Chelsea, Kante Kovacic. Mm-hmm. The two players that drive forward and absolutely shatter pretty much any press in world football. So you've got... And Kante's been on a yeah. bit of a tricky run of form and I thought he was much better in this game, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has been on a tough Obviously one. Obviously yeah. one of many players who are fasting currently as well. Isn't it weird to see that, you know, the concept of Kante having any kind of struggle. I mean, for Kante to struggle, it's based on like a seven and a half as opposed to mm-hmm. a, an eight and a half, nine. Um, but yeah, that, that combination is really, really strong uh, for Chelsea and just a great victory. And I see, a, I see a win like this and I think it makes me think what might have been for them. Yeah, I, I really liked Mason Mount turning up with a, a new fuck around and find out haircut. Yeah, yeah, and I see that. I see that. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was he was really leaning into the potential like shampoo advert hairstyle for a while. And he's come back I and he's just like, no, 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 no. This it's time to get goals and assists. This is a strictly goals and assists haircut. Something we were talking to was saying, I can't remember who it was. I was talking to the other day and they were like they mentioned um about Mason Mount having had a season that was perhaps below expectations or his expectations. Which, you know, is saying a lot because the season he had last year was just unbelievable. Mm. Um, but, you know, every player goes through some kind of dip. But I think him and him and that front three, it just gives you that pressing intensity. And this almost felt like a little bit of a throwback to Chelsea early season before teams really started coming at them. Mount looking like he was having a really lovely time again. Uh, obviously two goals and assists for him. Two goals for Timo Werner. Who was outstanding. Timo Werner was absolutely brilliant in this game. And he, he hit each part of the goal, including the, yes. like he hit the left post, the right post and the bar. Yeah. 
Um, but it's really interesting what you say about this because I think he gets so much stick for not scoring as many as he did at Leipzig. But the, how busy is it? He is, and his work rate is always so key when he's in that Chelsea side. He gives you so much off the ball or away from We've the said actual it finishing. Must aspect. be Pep's least favorite attacker. He's busy. Pep, I mean, there was every, a, there was a reason why there was a reason why Klopp was 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 looking at him for Liverpool. Put it yeah. that way, you know, before the Chelsea signing, he just seems to be like such a really good squad player yes you never really hear anything about him moaning about playing time or not scoring as many as he'd like he just kind of gets his head down and works this is from last year Pep talking about Chelsea when Chelsea have the ball it's difficult to control them because of their players who are so close together mm. the holding midfielders move perfectly with each other and at the same time they make the pitch so wide with wing backs and so deep with the movement of Werner Specifically, he's the only player that he mentioned in that whole configuration. So that's what he does. He stretches the play in a way that is is exceptional. Like his movement is world class. Speaking of win backs, I thought the inclusion of Ruben Loftus Cheek was quite interesting, and I thought he played really well. Yeah, actually, Tuchel did a really good job here. This was kind of like the perfect weekend for Chelsea in a way because clean sheet after leaking what I think a quarter of the season's goals that uh, Edward Mundy had conceded this season happened in the the last week or the two fixtures mm. before absolutely swatting away aside and also having a little bit of rotation in there as well for the coming Champions League game really great yeah I know Southampton have been prone to have to have the occasional let's say big defeat and they are on a poor run of form they haven't won a game since they beat West Ham in the beginning of March in the FA Cup and then beat Norwich and they had, they've not had a league win since the 25th of February Southampton so they are on a poor run of form but still that is just a very business-like, like I said, sit-down performance from Chelsea. Very much so, yeah. Quickly, also in the Premier League, great result for Leeds, beating Watford 3-0 on Saturday. Brentford with another great result, this time against West Ham, beating West Ham 2-0 at home. They're, they're safe, aren't they? They're not going. Which is, which is amazing. Can it I is amazing. Say, like- um, Leicester beating Palace 2-1. Wilf Saha with <laughs> two missed penalties and then got the rebound. That is going to be a trivia question at some point. So weird. Yeah. The man that missed a penalty twice and still scored. A very weird week for Burnley. They lost 2-0 to Norwich. Let's talk about the top four race because I mean, to be honest, West Ham were in that top four race as well. I think out of out of the, the, that pack of sides below Chelsea, I think just the way that the points are kind of signed. They've played a couple of games more. I think they're probably the the least likely to get it. Mm. So let's talk about Spurs first. This was again, another a, a super impressive win for Spurs, especially because Villa in that first half were absolutely incredible. Really came at them. They really did. Like I think uh, Gerard said after the game that he said it was the first time in football that he's been behind at the break, but immensely proud. Mm. And I think it was, I think he's, I'm not sure if he said it or someone else said it. It was probably the best that he'd seen his Villa side play since he'd been there. They were that good. Son obviously got a hat trick. We'll talk about those. And Kulisevsky with the other one. But Hugo Lloris made some big saves in that first half. If you look at the breakdown of this, 4 0 to Spurs, Villa had 1.81 XG, Spurs had 1.22. It's wild. So wild. Villa absolutely went at them. And this is the thing like the way that Gerald's got them playing mm. and creating chances. I've got, this is also credit to Villa for their recruitment. They brought in, they signed really well, they've given him the pieces to perform. The problem for them, of course, is that 
Antonio Conte is the master at this performance, at drawing the sting. I mean, yes, they relied on the brilliance of Lloris in the first half, but the way that those three are already working in tandem up front, Kulisevsky, Son and Kane. So Kulisevsky good. is they everything. So good. It's everything, everything I'd hoped he'd be. I thought he was, and I loved watching him in Italy. Um, I, I've said this many times, he didn't get a fair shake at Juventus for mm. various reasons. Um, but that combination, again, they complement each other so well. Mm. Everyone does something slightly differently. Um, and all three of them can act as playmakers, mm. which is a huge asset. They're not just like roving wide forwards. Kulisevsky can actually like, you know, create the play, build the play, you know, Sancho style. And we looked at this and, and there's this talk about this bad, I don't know where this myth of the bad January transfer window came through from Spurs, yeah. but Maybe it's, it was it's a, a numbers thing because I think the actual signings of those two were so <laughs> good. Bentancourt and Kulisevsky. Yeah, they had a great un- window. Unbelievable. Yeah. This is the first time Juventus have actually like dispensed the transfer bounty on any other club. <laughs> but then you just look at this Spurs team and you look at it on paper. Ryan, it's like, it's, it's brilliant. Like, I mean, Doherty is, there's always a more of a question mark over wing back than other parts of the team, but he's performed really well. Um, is the unit that works so well. You've got Dyer, Romero. That is a serious centre-back like configuration there. Romero's been super impressive. Well, he was what like, probably statistically the best defender in Serie A the mm. year before he moved. And you look now at this Spurs team and they're almost going to run out of road this season in terms of how far they could push into that top group. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's unfortunate for Arsenal, who we'll get to in a second. It's unfortunate for them that Arsenal's kind of reconfiguration Reemergence has coincided with Conte finally pulling the pieces together because he has, hasn't he? I think he has. I t- totally. I think in terms of Spurs, I think that they look like a Conte side now. They do. It took they? them a long while to figure it out, mm. but also he's got the best players playing at their level again, mm. which I think they weren't before. No, that's right. The thing that was really impressive about this result: Spurs' ability to absorb pressure or navigate difficult periods of football matches, is kind of back again. Mm, yes. We'll talk about this with Manchester United and Arsenal as well. I think what both of those sides aren't doing at the moment are navigating difficult periods. It's too easy to score against Manchester United and Arsenal at the moment in the periods when the sides are, when their opposition are on top. You pointed this out against Arsenal, about um, Arsenal against Brighton with the goal that was easy to be, and about the late run. And you were like, yeah, yeah. It's too easy to score against Arsenal at the moment, and it's too easy to make life difficult for them. And for Spurs, Villa was so good in that first half. And yeah, you can say that the individualism of the goalkeeper kept them in it, and it could have been very, very different. They didn't let that Villa momentum result in actually going behind, and they were just so clinical with their chances. Like the Kulusevski goal, you could probably argue that Mings could do better, and Martinez could have done better in goal because that is a tough tough chance to put away they're super efficient absorb the pressure take the chances and with this amount of games to go and a Dar- North London Derby coming up in a few weeks as well that is a very very good headspace to be in knowing that you can soak up that kind of pressure and hurt teams when you're maybe not playing at your absolute yeah. peak whereas for, for Manchester United and Arsenal I think the opposite is true at the moment I think they're having to work extremely hard to create chances and to score goals, they're a little bit too easy to score against and they're not as good as absorbing pressure and navigating difficult periods of games as Spurs are currently. Yeah. I think Hyung-Min Son is still underrated. Yeah, he's he's definitely, he's in there for Firmino's law. 
he's in the underrated player group I think, only because. Do you know what though? I think I don't think he's underrated at all by Spurs fans. I think no, he's no, underrated no, by a number of No, not by Spurs. Neutrals. Of course, of course yeah. not by Spurs fans, but beyond that, beyond the club. That move when he is it the goal he gets when he he isolates two or three Villa players out on the right flank mm. and then plays a pass infield and then receives it and just takes them out of the game. Like firstly beautiful um feet to get out of his feet down the right flank and just takes out two or three Villa players with a single pass in field to Kulosevsky mm. and re- receives the return. And just so elusive, just unbelievable. Um, I think this is the thing now, the run-in uh, is that Arsenal, and we'll get to them now actually against Brighton losing 2-1, they're making hard work of creation. I think that's the thing. And this is not to kind of, it's not like sort of Spurs versus Arsenal, I'm trying to sort of juxtapose them in that way. I'm just saying that you look at like United as well, those teams make very, very hard work of chance creation. Mm. And Spurs don't. And that's the thing that elevates you from being a mid-table Europa League team into the Champions League. I mean, I'm, that that may not necessarily mean that they're creating less chances necessarily, but I think the they're quality. having to work harder for those chances and their execution of those chances when they arrive mm. is it's less damaging than Spurs. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, that's, I think that's right. I think, that's I think right. they're struggling to hurt teams in the way that Spurs are managing to hurt teams at the moment. Yes, yes. And I think you saw this in the Brighton game for Arsenal. Let's do Arsenal first and then we'll finish on Everton and Manchester United. But Brighton was so good in that first half. But arguably, I still think Arsenal could have could have, and probably should have won the game. Mm. And this is my point. Arsenal are, you know, Arsenal had some really, really good opportunities, created quite a lot, actually. But they were just too soft on the other end. You need to, you need to be concede. You need to be. The two goals that Arsenal conceded, for example, came from extremely poorly tracked runners. Yeah, one from Jacker on the left hand side, and then that midfield run from um, from Trossard. Yes. who just kind of walked into that space. Slightly different, but it reminded me a little bit of the Arshavin goal against Barcelona. That's exactly the same. Exactly the same. Because it was that, you could see it happening mm. a mile away. It's a the same, mile away. Same angle, same depth, yeah. same arrival. But then I think Barcelona in that game had just been so pulled out of shape. For that moment. For, yeah. that, for, but, that, but, for, that, for that moment. But, but then for also, this, it was yeah. like, it was one of those where it was like, yeah, there were some really, really clear identifiable Arsenal errors that led to that goal, but it was also an extremely well-executed goal, much like the second one, actually. The yes. second Brighton goal, which was lovely. A really lovely goal. So again, it was one of those, I think Arsenal had the chances to win the game, but I don't think they deserve to win the game. Right, absolutely, yeah. It's bittersweet for Graham Potter because he lost the XG battle, <laughs> but he won the game, so. You can imagine it's that meme, isn't it? I've won, but at what cost? <laughs> <laughs> but Brighton's run of, of form going into this game had been quite patchy. They had a winless run since the 12th of February. They've got Spurs next and it would not surprise me if Spurs put them away. That's no disrespect to Brighton at all. That's just more with the kind of comparison between Arsenal and Spurs currently. I think Spurs look, like we say, they look a little bit more complete. There are caveats there for Arsenal in terms of the lack of squad depth. It was going to come back to bite Arsenal at some point through the season. Mm. Yes, and this is unfortunate people said. People said this, didn't they? And this is it. And Arteta is now struggling to figure out a formula with the personnel available because Tierney's out for the rest of the season. It looks like Partey will be out till till May. Mm. He's got to come up with a solution quick because he's got Man United on the horizon. He's got a North London derby to deal with. These are big, big games. However, 
that's why I think it's still too close to call for who's going to finish in that fourth spot because points are going to be won between those three. Yeah, they're still in it. Arsenal's still in this for sure. Mm. Taking my Arsenal hat off, really pleased for Brighton because they had, like I say, they had been in this this really, really patchy run of form. They were never in danger of getting dragged into that relegation battle, I don't think. Mm. But still just um, a good one to chalk up for them. There was a little bit of a, a confusion with Arsenal with the, the Martinelli disallowed goal. I, it was the right decision, but my God, how unlucky do you have to be to be offside that close to the goal line? When you're that close to the goal, there should be like a, an offside amnesty. Yeah, it should be. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be legal. People should just yeah. say, fuck it, fuck it. No, no. <laughs> um, but can I say actually, we, before I forget on the on the race for the Champions League, obviously West Ham is still in contention. And so are Manchester United, although this, this defeat, the frustrating thing about this defeat from Manchester United's perspective is like these were points they really needed. This is mm. this is not a performance you put in where you really need points. Like it, it is, it just isn't, and it, it's a, it's a slightly baffling. And there's a, there was a, a grim episode at the end when uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's allegedly well, we saw it. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it seemed to have slapped um, a phone away as he walked off. Yeah, it's such weird behaviour. It was a bizarre. I mean, it was a bizarre. The whole thing off. was weird. It was very very weird, and it rounded off an extremely strange performance in Manchester United and a, and a bad day for them. But all, again, credit to Everton. And here's the thing as well. Like we, we criticised Frank Lampard um, on the previous podcast in terms of his, I think, demeanour, um, the language he used, much more upbeat here. And just much the, more. But yeah. also, and also, but also well, the, again, the credit to Lampard. Like, yes, yes, yes. Thank you. The team selection here was really, really good and worked. Who Fabian Delph, who excelled under Guardiola, could do a job here. And I know that like there's there's more to it than that. I'm sure that Everton fans will come back and say, actually, like he's been poor in many respects. But I think he is a player who's proven that if you've got a really good tactical plan, he can give you something different mm-hmm. and special. Going with Delph and Allen in midfield here just gives you that uh, solidity. You've got some nous there. You have some experience. Gordon was excellent. Iwobi, Brilliant. a bit happier in that pocket there. And Rashalas and just allowed to roam and then using Calvert-Lewin as a fixed point. That's a configuration I really like for Everton. Um, I thought yeah. there was, again, like we talked about the Chelsea reaction. This was such a reaction from Everton. Yeah. And they did extremely well. They, they soaked up quite a lot of Manchester United pressure. But for that, Manchester United didn't create a huge amount of glaringly big chances. Again, Jordan Pickford made some really good saves. You know, the weird thing is, here's a funny thing with Pickford. I feel like Pickford's better form came when he was off the radar. So like, it's almost like mm. his early parts of his career, the chaos was greater than the later part. And I think his reputation, he's still suffering slightly from some of the chaos of the earlier moments. Because mm. throughout the Euros, he'd ironed out a lot of those challenges. He wasn't that keeper in the yeah. Euros. He was really like solid. And I think what's interesting about um, Pickford is he's had to play behind a pretty rapidly rotating cast of defenders. Mm. Mason Holgate was in central midfield in the last game and now he's on the bench here and that's not Holgate's fault at all. He's a defender. So I slightly worry going forward. I mean, Everton should still have enough to stay up. They should. Yeah, they have the quality to stay up. They have the quality. But I'm more concerned, I suppose, about them going forward, whatever division they end up in. I'm just concerned about how some of those players are used. Um, I I mean, we should, we'll, we'll definitely we should definitely bank that for what happens at the end of the season because yeah, yeah. there needs to be a big debrief about about a number of teams mm. this season because there are so many, like the upcoming summer transfer window, for example, and just the summer in general is going to be so key for so many Premier League teams. Everton are absolutely one of them. 
Yes. From the, this game in isolation, I'm just, I'm, I'm really pleased from an Everton point of view that they got a big win after a difficult week. And obviously Burnley's defeat to Norwich mm. means that that Burnley result was kind of just a bit of a, in terms of a fixture, it's almost been wiped off. Burnley should be really disappointed with that because they had a really they good chance be to equalise. Massively disappointed. They, yeah. they they should have done a lot better than that. Um, and coming off the back of that strong performance against Everton, mm. the momentum should have carried them a bit further. So yeah, slight, but then again, Everton are fighting. Norwich are fighting for their lives. So, anything more to say about Manchester United that we haven't already said before? After I don't, I don't think so. I no? don't think so. No, <laughs> should we save it for the deep dive later in the season? Yeah, I think so. I think that's fine. As you were. So yeah, the race for the top four is Spurs are in fourth place, 57 points, having played 31 with a far superior goal difference to Arsenal now who are three points behind. Obviously West Ham on 51 points, having played 32 games. Manchester United also on 51 points, having played 31. But then you've got Wolves who are only a couple of points behind that as well. So there are still many twists and turns for the end of the season, no doubt. There are indeed. Always been big Premier League heavy today. Anything else you want to shout out quickly before we... Just very quickly... Union Berlin beating Hertha 4 1 in the Derby. That. <laughs> I would not want to be a Hertha player in training yesterday or today. There were some slightly grim scenes at the end of the Ultra. The Ultras were um, telling Hertha players to take their shirts off because they didn't represent the fans properly, which I thought was really, mm-hmm. that's tough on Hertha players. You know, you're not going out there trying to get absolutely hammered. And it was an amazing atmosphere at the Olympia Stadion, but. Union were loud. Like, <laughs> Hertha fans were loud, credit to them for that game, but the Union fans were really going after it. But yeah, I think just to say in that, like they've done really well in the derby against Hertha. But I think we've said this before, Urs Fischer's coaching of Union Berlin continues to be one of the marvels of the top divisions um, in Europe, it really is. Yeah, they had those back-to-back poor results against Hertha when they lost 4-0 and 3-1. But other than that, they're, they're undefeated in the derby since they're... But that relegation fight isn't over one or two results either way can really, really turn that around. You've got Hertha, Arminia Bielefeld, both on 26 points and then Stuttgart are only on 27. So you've got three sides battling to avoid the the automatic relegation spot. And then for those who don't know, 16th place in the Bundesliga goes into a playoff against the third place side in the side to Bundesliga. So... Yeah, um, quick shout to to Dortmund who beat Stuttgart on Friday night, but we saw Gio Reyna go off in tears with another injury, which was such a shame for him. He's only just recently come back and we hope that that's nothing too serious. I think it's a hamstring. Mm. That was really sad to see. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, So early in the game as well. But Julian Brandt came on for Gio Reyna and got both goals for Dortmund. Let's quickly talk about La Liga because... Yes. Uh, just very, very, very quickly yeah, very because quickly. Atleti lost to Mallorca on Saturday, which was a huge result for Mallorca. Um, they're obviously battling to avoid the drop and uh, they're out of the relegation zone now, thanks to that result. And uh, Cadiz's defeat to Betis, Real Madrid beating Getafe 2-0 on Saturday night, but then Barcelona beating Levante 3-2 after being 1-0 down and then going 2-1 up, conceding an equaliser. They had three penalties against them in this game, Barcelona. Two of them were scored, one of them was saved by Marc-Andre Stegen. And then Luke de Jong in the second minute of stoppage time coming up with the goods again late in the game for Barcelona. He's been a really, really handy player for them this season. Some amazing stat was that Colin Miller posted said like um, of the five goals that have been scored by Barcelona in the last 10 minutes, four have come from Luke de Jong under under Chavez. He's been responsible for so many points for them. Do you know what I love about this squad? This squad is like, it's a happy squad first of all, but everyone is happy to contribute their parts. Mm. Um, 
That man, that, the lovely Gavi to Pedri. Gavi Pedri link up. Yes. <laughs> wow. Those two, those two, they've had, you know what they need to have, they need to be a children's book. The Adventures of Gavi and Pedri. Yeah. That, I mean, I need to write that. I, need to, I should pitch that and write that. <laughs> uh, oh dear. Um, quickly in Serie A, Atalanta lost to Sassuolo. Napoli lost at home to Fiorentina. Milan drew away to Torino. Bad loss for Inter. Napoli. Inter beat Hellas Verona, which means that they are two points off Milan at the top with a game in hand. So the title is now back in Inter's hands. For the week, for this week at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's leave it for there today. Let's do it. Uh, don't forget, Wrighty's House will be up on Wednesday with Jill Rod, uh, Ian and Flo talking to Jill Rod and talking about Le- Leah Williamson's England captaincy. We'll be back on Thursday with the Champions League stuff. Don't forget to check the ringer.com and the ringer.com forward slash soccer and the Stadio Outros players on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on Molecular Memories from Kasim Moss. Anything you want to add, Musa Okwonga? Nothing further. I'm good. Really? Nothing at all? It's been a while, you, I think. I've matured. Have you? <laughs> yes, I have. I've had. Have I've, you? I've, it's growth. It's growth, Ryan. Embrace is it. Is it? <laughs> is it? <laughs> Uh, All right then. Much love, everyone. Stay safe, stay well, and uh, we'll be back on Thursday. See you then.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 